Open your Bibles with me to Isaiah chapter 5, please. Isaiah chapter 5. We shall end and we shall begin with this passage of Scripture. And I hope that it will give a proper application to our study of the relational attribute of God that we consider today, and that is that the Lord Jehovah is encouraging. This great God that we have studied for 38 sermons is encouraging, and we want to be thankful for that. We want to see its examples in the pages of Scripture. We want to slow down enough to think about His encouragement in our own personal lives and what that ought to do in the way that we serve Him. I begin at the first verse of Isaiah 5. Now will I sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. And he fenced it, and gathered out the stones thereof, and planted it with the choicest vine, and built a tower in the midst of it, and also made a winepress therein. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes, and it brought forth wild grapes. And now... O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard. What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, brought it forth wild grapes. And now go to, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up, and break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down. And I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned, nor digged, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds, that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, And the man of Judah, his pleasant plant. And he looked for judgment, but behold, oppression. For righteousness, but behold, a cry. Amen and amen. Amen. We are the vineyard of the Lord of hosts of the New Testament. We are his vineyard. He has planted a choice vine, and he's fenced it about, and he's gathered out the stones thereof, and he's put a tower in the midst of it, and a wine press, and he looked for grapes, and we often give him wild grapes. But today I want to remind you that he has done all that he could in his wisdom, not in his power, but in his wisdom, and he's done all that he should for his vineyard, and we should be giving him as he says in verse 7, judgment and righteousness rather than oppression and a cry. Why aren't you giving the Lord better grapes? What is your wine? Boone's Farm? Or a rich Cabernet? What is your wine? The Lord's done all that He 
could do for us and should do for us. And that's where we're going to dwell today. But I shall come back to this passage because I don't want us to think that the Knowing God sermon series is a mental, intellectual exercise, but rather knowing Him better, to walk with Him better, and to love Him more. Amen. Oh, let's give Him good grapes today. Amen. Let's let Him have a, a sip of wine today from a cup that we have pressed from the very pleasant and choicest vine that He's given us in the Gospel. You may turn in your Bibles to Genesis 9. No, before you do that, let's go back to Psalm 111. Psalm 111 that our brother Lewis brought to us today. Now, Lewis didn't know where we were headed today, but the Lord knew where we were both headed. And that's all that matters, and I love to see it happen, and I'm not surprised in the least. What in the world did you pick a psalm for out of 150 that has to do with the works of God that ought to be remembered? They're powerful and glorious and gracious. That's our subject. It's how He encourages us with all the works. Look at verse 2. The works of the Lord are great. We're going to see some. And we should be seeking them out. His work is honorable and glorious. Verse 4. He's made His wonderful works to be remembered. And we want to remember them today, even though most of the points I'm going to make are very well known by everyone here. I want you to think about each one of them in a different perspective And that is how they prove and show the attribute of God that He is encouraging. Verse 6, He hath showed His people the power of His works, that He may give them the heritage of the heathen. It was intimidating to come out of Egypt, having just been slaves without weapons, to take up arms against foreign nations that had trained militaries. But He had shown them His power that they didn't need to worry about it. He had encouraged them. And we're going to encourage each other today. I am so sorry in a very small part of me that I am proceeding so slowly. I have 10 or 15 relational attributes and I'll be done. But I couldn't get past one in the last few days. And it's this one. Encouraging. He encouraged me so much yesterday... I wish that you could taste a tithe of it because most of you would be happier than you are right now by the look on your faces. But I'll do my best. But it's up to the Lord to encourage us. Let's go to Genesis chapter 9. Oh, today's going to be simple. It's going to be childish stories. But I thank God that the gospel is simple. And it's for children who love to come to the feet of their father And be reminded of the great things He's done for them. And to be encouraged. The Lord Jehovah, infinite, independent, immortal, invisible, omniscient, omnipotent, and all the other things that He is, is encouraging. He comes and encourages us. When we think we can't go further, He gives us the strength to run a mile. When we think that all is hopeless, He shines a beam of light into our lives that makes every hopeless thing disappear and fills us with hope. And on and on we could go. He is encouraging by providing assistance when we need it, praise when we do it, promises of what He'll add, and rewards for our good deeds that please Him. To encourage means to inspire with courage. To animate, to inspirit. It means to stimulate, 
I want to stimulate you this morning by assistance, by reward, or by expressions of God's favor or approval so that you get excited about Him and His worship. To encourage someone is to countenance or patronize them, to help them, to promote the continuance of what their projects might be. This is to encourage. It is a Bible word. And I want you to understand that God is very encouraging. He knows when we need a little bit of encouragement. And though the people that you may love and the people that you may live with are not as encouraging as they could be, maybe not as encouraging as they should be, God is perfectly encouraging. And we want to be thankful for that. He is God, and we should not need any encouragement to worship Him. And I love to tell Him that. What did Job say? Though He slay me, yet will I trust in Him. Do you believe that? Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. But he still encourages us. He's God. We shouldn't need encouragement to love him and to live for him, but he encourages us anyway. We want to emphasize today God's positive encouragements. Now, there's a lot of encouragements in the Bible that are negative. If you don't, I'll do this to you. You know, if you commit this sin, I'm going to do this to you. Those are negative encouragements, if you will. Those are negative threats and warnings to keep us in the way of righteousness. Today's going to be all positive. And I want your hearts lifted up and your minds lifted up in the Lord and all that He does too encourages us. We're going to pass over His general deliverances and we're going to look for things that we should be able to see plainly enough actually involve lifting up, stimulating, and encouraging, exciting an individual's soul or a family's soul or a nation's soul. And so those are the things that we'll look at. And here we go. Genesis chapter 9. In Genesis chapter 9, we have Noah and his wife, his three sons and their wives, eight souls in all, the church of God, of the patriarchs, getting off the ark. As Zach and I discussed earlier this morning, it was rather quiet. No planes overhead, no horns honking in automobiles, and no dogs barking in the subdivision, and no one out with their cursed leaf blower. It was quiet. It was lonely. And for one year, they had been able to think about the fact that God had sent a flood of water, something they had never seen before, and had drowned everyone they knew. Everything they knew. There was nothing. It was lonely. It was scary. It was intimidating. And so along comes the Lord to encourage them. And some of you read this chapter last evening in preparation. Were there some things to encourage them? They were all by themselves. I told Sherry that if I were Noah, when I got off the ark, I would have got the animals out, I'd have cleaned the ark, and I'd have turned it into an apartment building because I wasn't going to leave it in case the rain came again. Do you understand that? It would have been a great apartment building. Three stories tall, and it was huge. What a house! Do you know how many square feet were in that thing? It would have been a great apartment building. But no, the Lord came. He knew that to get Noah to walk away from that ark, you know, to be one mile away from it, you'd be thinking, I don't see any clouds, honey. Maybe we can go two miles. But to replenish the earth would have taken confidence that there was another flood coming. Did he give them confidence? Don't you ever forget it every time you see a rainbow? That bow is in the clouds for you to know that the Lord is never going to send a flood of water again to destroy all flesh. And he did that to encourage Noah. 
did Noah get any other encouragement that day? He could have a hamburger. Amen. That's encouraging. Oh, he, had, he was already 600 years old. Do you know what he'd eaten his whole life? Salads. Yep. He got to have a hamburger, and you may be laughing at me. Oh, a good hamburger, a good piece of meat is an encouragement from the Lord. What else did he get? Brother Stephen, bless your heart. Brother Stephen came through the door while I was talking to Zach. He overheard one word, that there was a rainbow involved. And his excitement was that every beast, every creature, every fowl, and every fish had the dominion of man put into them by God. So that Noah did not have to worry about this earth being overrun by animals who would be prone to reproduce faster than humans, and there wouldn't be any other hunters to help him, they might be eaten. Nope, the Lord put it into all of them, that they would be afraid of man. Isn't that wonderful? And there's other things that you could find if you read through Genesis chapter 9. Is there there capital punishment taught here to protect men from murderers? Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. All That's an encouragement of the law of God. Things to be thankful for. Things to be encouraged. But the number one encouragement was a rainbow. When you read the Bible, think about Noah coming down that gangplank to the ground and not hearing a thing except those animals. There was nothing. It would have been fearful and intimidating, but the Lord gave him a rainbow. Whenever we see that bow, we know that God is encouraging. There's not going to be another flood. Look at Genesis chapter 24. And of course, we'll only be able to look at some of what the Lord gave me yesterday, but we'll look at as many as we can. You can tell already that I'm not going to go into the details about the rainbow, but the rainbow is a glorious thing. And it's described well there in Genesis chapter 9, and the Lord very plainly says, and He very repeatedly says, that it's my covenant. I will see the rainbow. Do you know that it's not important? Is it's it's important for you to see the rainbow, but it's also important. It's more important that God see the rainbow, because if God doesn't see the rainbow, then He may forget the end of His end of the covenant, and Him forgetting His end of the covenant is worse than you forgetting your end of the covenant. But He says, "I'll see it, and I'll remember that I've made a covenant." Pray. That's the God we worship. That's your heavenly Father. How many times has He given you a rainbow in your life? Come on. He has me. She's sitting in row number 7, which brings me to Genesis 24. It's one of my rainbows. Genesis chapter 24. Abraham's servant has gone into a far country to find a wife for Isaac. And he's bringing Rebekah back. You know the story well. Verse 61 tells us that Rebekah arose with her damsels and got on the camels and followed the man. The servant took Rebekah and went his way. And as they came back toward Abraham and Isaac's home land, she saw Isaac in a field because he went out there to meditate. And it tells us this in verse 67. Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent and they didn't play checkers. Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Look at that. Isaac loved his mother, Sarah. Sarah had died. Isaac felt lost without his mother, in a a sense. The Bible tells us that right here. And he got comfort from another woman. 
Rebecca, how many of you have a spouse that the Lord sent you? There was a time in your life where you were lonely. You were looking for a spouse. You were praying for a spouse. And the Lord sent you a spouse. He's an encouraging God. And if some of you don't say amen or nod your heads, I'll call on you by name. And your poor spouse next to you is going to wonder why you're not thankful for them. The Lord's encouraging. He gave you another soul. And it tells us right here that that is one of his encouraging works with men. You were lonely. You were desperate. You were begging. You were praying. You were wondering where in the world is she or he going to come from. And the Lord provided because the Lord encourages. And the stories are unique and they're different and they're wonderful. Oh, the Lord's, see, the Lord can give me a rain, the Lord can fulfill both of those at the same time with me, plus I get the rainbow in the sky. Thank you, Lord. There's so many good things. Look at Genesis chapter 28. The Bible is full of this. Why do we read the Bible? Because it encourages us. Oh, I'll get to that point before the day's over, that you have a book in your hand that was designed for your encouragement. But when we look through the pages of Scripture, there's encouragement everywhere you look. Isaac was discouraged. He was lonely. He was 60 years old. And he didn't have a wife. Listen, I couldn't make it to 16 without a wife. Say, I thought you were 19. Yes, I was, but I couldn't make it. Terrible years to be alone without a wife. Genesis chapter 28 about Jacob. Jacob has been threatened by his brother for good cause. That Esau is going to kill him as soon as his father is dead. Jacob has to leave home and travel several hundred miles away alone. And Jacob's a, a homebody. Jacob's, let's just say it, Jacob's a mama's boy. And mama's boy has to leave mama. And he has to leave home and head out by himself for a long trip. Do you think the Lord's going to encourage him? Now we know the Lord loves him because Romans 9.13 says the Lord loved Jacob and hated Esau. Right. So what's going to happen? I'm going to tell you Jacob's not going to get very far before he knows the Lord is with him. Now you're going to have to endure a few verses here with me. Genesis 28 and verse 10. And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. It's a long trip. Go find a map and look at the several hundred miles. And he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night. He gets to some place that looks like it's a place to camp because the sun was set. And he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down in that place to sleep. Now that wasn't as comfortable as mama's goose down comforter that he had at home. Do you understand that sometimes when you're uncomfortable by the world standards, the Lord can be there for you. And so he uses stones as his pillows. Mama never did that to him. I'm just trying to, I want you to think about it. It's the best he could do in his circumstances right now. And he dreamed. And behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. What more do you want? Who else did a ladder like that appear to that the Bible identifies as a measure of great blessing upon his life? The Lord Jesus Christ. And behold, the Lord stood above it. Here's God standing above the ladder and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father, and the God of Isaac, 
The land whereon thou liest, those stones that are so hard, to thee will I give it and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. Praise God. Oh, and you say, I wish I had promises like that. They would encourage me. You do have promises like that, and they should encourage you. The Lord has promised that He will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Look at the encouragement. Do you think about the Bible when you read it? We're about to start a new year, which means by the ordinary course of most people in their reading programs, you'll be in Genesis in January. But in Genesis in January, are you going to read slow enough to realize that God takes individuals and they're not perfect by any stretch? Jacob wasn't perfect. But look at the Lord being with him. And the Lord made him great. And the Lord promised to make him great. You're a child of the king. And your king is never going to leave you. Your king has defeated all enemies, including death. He's coming back for you. He has mansions prepared for you. Are you encouraged? The world wants to discourage you. Your flesh wants to discourage you. You're so tired. You're so pitiful. The world's got so many problems. But the Lord's overcome all those problems. And so He says, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. That's encouraging. In the world ye shall have tribulation. Of course. So what? Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. This is what we want to do for a little while here. Is to be encouraged by looking at the examples of the Bible. Genesis chapter 30. Jacob finds himself a wife. And a wife. And a wife. And a wife. It didn't do him any good. They're all fighting for him. Unless you men think that's good. Let's not go there. They're all fighting for him and it's an ugly scene. Poor Leah, she knows that Jacob doesn't really love her. She got stuck with him. Leah knows that Jacob loves Rachel because she's beautiful. She's known all her life that Rachel was well-favored and beautiful, and you can put everything you want into those expressions because the Lord expects you to. Leah didn't have it. Rachel did. Jacob loved Rachel. Leah, the rest of her life, is going to be stuck with a man that doesn't really love her. Now there's a God in heaven, and He's infinite, and He's independent, and He's immortal, and He's invisible, and He's omniscient, and He's omnipotent, and He doesn't overlook things like a girl like Leah, to whom He made the choice that she wouldn't get the full deck. He made the choice that Rachel would get the full deck. But He knows how to equalize things in life. And so we have Genesis chapter 30 and verse 20. Leah said, let's get verse 19. And Leah conceived again and bare Jacob the sixth son. And Leah said, God hath endued me with a good dowry. Now will my husband dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. And she called his name Zebulun. And afterwards she bare a daughter and called her name Dinah. What did Rachel do for him? 
Joseph and Benjamin. What did Leah do for him? Six sons and a daughter. And notice the expression here. Leah knew by the inspiration of God that he had blessed her and given her something that would cause her husband not to leave her. He may not have been staying for love, but he would stay for the six sons. Half his, half the tribes of Israel came out of the womb of Leah for encouragement to her. God hath endued me with a good dowry. Well, how do you read the Bible, folks? He's done this to me every day of my life. When I've been discouraged over something, He sends something to encourage me. I was somewhat discouraged on Friday. Oh, yesterday was a horse of a different color. Yesterday was wild. Thankfully, Sherry left for two or three hours, so I had no inhibitions about screaming in the house. Because the Lord is so good, my brother knows a little bit of it. So good. Tokens arrive in mailboxes. Tokens arrive in inboxes. Tokens arrive in God's Word. I realized I can't leave this subject. This subject would take more than two sermons. But we'll limit it to that. He encourages us. I love His Word. I was just shouting and running around the house and punching the air, telling him, I love you, and I love your word. Because this word is fantastic. It answers every dilemma. It gives us rules for Christian ethics, and it tells us about Leah having six sons and a daughter. Look at Exodus chapter 4. Some of you may have read this one last evening. Exodus chapter 4. Moses was afraid to return to Egypt. Can you think of a reason why he was afraid to return to Egypt? He'd killed an Egyptian. They had tried to kill him. That's why he left 40 years earlier. He's a timid man. He doesn't like public speaking. I hope everyone hears me. Moses didn't like to speak in public, so guess what he got to do for the next 40 years? Speak in public all the time. I don't like people. And that's why he gave you to me. Amen. And I I love you. Because he's able to encourage us by putting in our hearts what we need. Uh, And I don't mean anything bad, but I hope all of you know what. I'm just a loner by nature. That's all I meant by that. That Exodus chapter 4 is pretty good. Now, Moses has just seen a burning bush, and the Lord Jehovah has just revealed himself to Moses as Jehovah, I am that I am. And he says, I want you to go back to Egypt and bring my people out. Not only do I want you to go back to the nation that you killed one Egyptian, but I want you to go back and take all their slave labor that they're depending upon in their economy for their nation and take all of them out of the whole nation. That's all you've got to do for me. And so Moses starts to argue with the Lord, and uh, the Lord's pretty good about it. The Lord says... Oh, no. Here we go. Throw your rod down. Remember? I'm not going to read the whole thing to you. Do you, remember? you read it last night. Throw your rod down. It becomes a serpent. There on the ground. Now pick it up again. And he goes for the tail and picks it up, and it becomes a rod in his hand again. What, what does that mean to you? That's encouragement. The Lord will encourage you. If you will submit to doing His will, and even if you'll submit fearfully, and even if you won't submit at the beginning, He can send you encouragement to do His will. Right. Amen. 
And that wasn't enough for the Lord because you need two or three witnesses in God's scheme of things. One's not enough. He says, put your hand inside your cloak, your robe. He put his hand, he pulls it out, it's all leprous. He says, put it in again. Comes out all whole again. Now that's, those are some pretty neat miracles. The first snake handler in the Bible was Moses. And he had faith, but not much, did he? And then he says, well, I can't speak. Okay, okay, you're going to give me some miracles because he was just envisioning, I'm going to get down there. They haven't seen me in 40 years. I'm going to call the elders of Israel together. The princes of the 12 tribes are going to come together. They're going to be in a room and they're going to say, how do we know that God sent you? He's just thinking through. You know, some people think too much. He's thinking through, what are they going to say? Then what's Pharaoh going to say? How can I be convincing? Look at me. I'm a shepherd. And so he gave him those signs and wonders. And then Moses said, well, I can't speak. I'm afraid of public speaking. I've got a hair lip. I just don't do well. And so he gives him Aaron. Is the Lord encouraging? Amen. Do you know what he tells him? Aaron is on his way to see you already. I wonder if God knew, I wonder if God knew that Moses was going to say, I can't speak, and had already sent his mouthpiece. Because the mouthpiece is on his way, and Aaron's coming. Let him be for you a mouth. Is that, is that encouraging? How many of you ever faced a math test that you didn't know if you'd be able to pass it or not? And you prayed and you asked the Lord and He gave you some encouragement maybe and some practice problems and then He gave you the test. Every one of you know that the Lord's encouraged you at times in your life. Right. These are the reason we look at these examples and that's why these examples are in the Bible. Do you know what the Bible says about these examples? The things that were written aforetime were written for our learning. That we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Amen. What is hope? It's encouragement. That's right. How do we get our encouragement? Through the pages of the Old Testament. These stories I call childish stories because I want to be the Lord's child. Right. I'm 55 years old. And I don't know if I've ever been wound up more about some of these Bible stories than I was in the last 24 hours. Amen. And he proved them to me yesterday. I may be able to share some of it with you. Amen. How did Israel know that the Lord was with them after they left Egypt? Now, they are out in a place and there's not good maps. It's the wilderness. And they're wandering around. How do they know that God is with them? Now, he knew that they were weak in faith. There was a massive pillar of cloud during the daytime right. and a massive pillar of fire in the nighttime for them to always know that the Lord was with them. It's Exodus chapter 13. Is that encouraging? I mean, if you ever thought, what am I doing out here sleeping on the ground without a house in the middle of nowhere with everyone and there's no food? How are we going to make it? You could just open one eye and instead of looking at the alarm clock that's on your nightstand, you'd see the pillar of fire over there burning outside the camp. Yes. Oh, yes, Lord. Okay, back to sleep. Amen. Encouragement. Right. Joshua chapter 6. You say you skipped a few books. Of course, there's 66 books. How am I going to finish in time? Joshua chapter 6. Do you know what it would have been like to try to fill the shoes of Moses? 
Have you ever had to replace someone important on a job that was good, that was skilled, that they highly esteemed, and you have to go replace them? Moses, 40 years, the great man of God, faithful in all God's house. What a man. One of the five great men. And a young man named Joshua has to replace him. There's all kinds of things the Lord does to encourage Joshua. The Lord sends him a message. Be courageous and I'll be with you like I was with Moses. Chapter 1. He sends Moses to lay his hands on him and give him of Moses' spirit. But he comes to the Jordan River. Now how did Moses get himself a name with Israel? He Remember the other plagues were done in Pharaoh's presence. He held up his rod over the Red Sea and it divided. What did Joshua do? Joshua walked to the edge of the Jordan River. It was in the time of harvest and it was flooding all its shores. All its banks, as the Bible says. And he told the priests that had the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders, step in. Step in and walk across the Jordan. And as soon as they hit the water, as soon as it says their toes hit, hit the water, the waters separated and heaped up on both sides. So it looked like the Red Sea all over again. Would that give you a little bit of encouragement to take the job? Amen. I love the Lord. Amen. This is the God of heaven and I want you to know Him. Yep. He is not just in, infinite. He is not just omnipotent. He is not just holy. He is encouraging. And if you'll look for the encouragements in your life, He'll send them. And if you show Him that you love Him, He'll send you more. The, the Jordan separated, and it says the priests walked on dry ground. I would say that a riverbed takes a little longer than one second to become dry. But the Lord made it dry. Then the people walked right through the Jordan River on dry ground. Right. And the priests just stood there in the middle, and the waters just kept heaping up. They backed, they backed up a great distance. That's right. Those cities were, were wondering about why their Doppler had not heard about an up- river flood before as the waters backed up the Jordan River I mean love the word of God this is my God he loves me I love him I talk to him he talks to me he encourages me I wish that I could encourage him I want to give him a cup full of wine today that's not Boone's Farm for those of you that are too young to know what Boone's Farm is I'll introduce you to something like it It's a bottle of wine that you can't pay more than $1 for. A quart costs $1.25, and a bottle costs two. If that tells you about the contents. It's an old, cheap wine. It's just a point to make that we want to give the Lord something sweet and pleasant to Him. We want Him to take a drink and be encouraged by our lives. Does the Lord take pleasure in His people? Do you think I'm jesting? Do you think I'm telling jokes in the pulpit? Does the Lord take pleasure in His people? Does the Lord delight in His people? Right. Yes and yes. And I want to do that for him. And I want you to do it with me today. Moses had defeated Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan. What in the world's Joshua going to do? He is going to take the city of Jericho by playing, by the band playing. They march around the city of Jericho and the walls fall flat for Joshua. Right. How's that for an endorsement? for Joshua over Moses. They had to fight the last time. 
This time they just got to march. The Lord sent encouragement for Joshua. Flip over to the book of Judges. Judges chapter 6. Is there a timid man here? In Judges 6, Gideon, did he need some encouragement? Oh, a lot of it. But uh, let's remember, is there encouragement from this that Gideon is listed in Hebrews 11? That encourages me. That's encouragement. That the faithless one is in the hall of faith. Let's not call him faithless. He did go to battle with only 300 men with their swords in their scabbards. Because they had to hold a trumpet and a torch. That is courageous. But that's after the Lord gave him some encouragement. What's the first encouragement? As soon as the Lord met him, the angel by the angel, thou mighty man of valor. <laughs> Gideon? Where did the angel find him? Threshing wheat behind the wine press for fear of the Midianites? Thou mighty man of valor. That's a little bit of encouragement. And then he gave him all those signs. Gideon said, I just don't know. How about if you show me something? I'm gonna, I'll put out a fleece and you turn, you make it wet and you make the ground around it dry. Okay. The Lord did it. Well, now make the fleece dry and the ground around it wet. You know these stories. I've already told you you know these stories. But do you look at these stories and see the encouragement in them? Has the Lord done anything to encourage you? He's done countless things to encourage you. Tangible things and intangible things he does to encourage us. And then Gideon's still a little nervous. And so the Lord tells Gideon, get your armor bearer and go down to the camp of the Midianites tonight while they're sleeping and draw up to a tent. And he draws up to a tent and he hears inside a man explaining a dream in the Hebrew tongue for Gideon to be able to understand it, that he just had a vision that Gideon's going to come into camp and kill them all. Would that encourage you? Could you then go into battle with a trumpet and a torch? Yes, Lord, we can do it. The Lord is going to bring Goliaths and Midianites into our lives to see if we will face them in His courage. And He will give us the strength if we'll trust Him just a little. And Gideon is an example of trusting Him just a little. He'll help. He'll do the rest. You know, we can't spend... For, we can't spend forever on these, and I'm, I'm going way too slow now because I'm one-twelfth the way through my outline, and we're not one-twelfth through the time. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings 19. Oh, Lord, thank you for all these records of your encouragement to your people. Amen. Ahab has just called fire down from heaven and killed 450 prophets of Baal. Wouldn't you think that that prophet of God that was of a very passionate spirit would be really feeling his oats and mighty in the Lord? He's sitting under a juniper tree asking for Harry Carey. He's asking for the Lord to kill him, that there's no reason for him to be alive. In 1 Kings 19, he has just heard news that Jezebel has heard what he did to the prophet, her prophets and has sent a message, messenger saying that before tomorrow... In the next 24 hours, I will do that to you. I will kill you like you killed my prophets. It's in the first two verses. And so he rose and and fled for his life. Here's the man that just killed 450 prophets and called down fire from heaven, but he's running for his life. 
Ever had one of those reversals of confidence? And so he gets himself to a juniper tree and, and lies down, and his final prayer is not Psalm 127, that it's vain for me to rise up early and to stay up late. His prayer is, kill me. It's right there in verse 4. It's right there in verse 4. But while he slept, verse 5 tells us, Behold, an angel touched him and said, Arise and eat. Now you're out there all alone in the middle of the wilderness because you don't want another person around because you don't want anyone to know where you are to tell Jezebel so that she can kill you. And all of a sudden you're poked in the side and you wake up and there's an angel of the Lord and he says, Get up and eat. So he looked and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals. This is verse 6. And a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid right back down. (laughs) Some of the prophets of God are different. Now remember, the Bible says that he's not different from you or me. Because in James chapter 5 it says, Elijah was subject to like passions as we are. And that was James saying that. Verse 7, The angel of the Lord came again the second time, touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee for one meal. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God, Mount Sinai. Forty days and forty nights in the strength of that meat. Is that an encouragement? Is an angel encouragement? Is food and drink? Now what did he get when he got there? He had a fire and he had an earthquake. And then he had a still small voice. And that still small voice told him, don't worry, I've got everything under control. I'm going to kill them all. And he tells who's going to kill him. He mentions Jehu. He mentions Elisha. Don't worry. She's not going to kill you. I'm going to kill her. I'm going to kill them all. And don't think that you're alone. I've got 7,000 more just like you. How's that for encouragement? Have we ever used the 7,000 to encourage ourselves? He's got his 7,000, brethren. They may not have written us this week. They don't need to. He's got them. They may be wondering where we are. Who says that they've found us yet? This is encouragement. The Lord is encouraging. When he sees his men discouraged, Elijah was nearly inconsolable, but the Lord took care of him. You remember Elisha? When we come to 2 Kings chapter 2, Elijah is going to depart. The Lord tells Elisha that his master is going to leave. And his master does everything to discourage him by going to this town and saying, stay here while I go to that town. Elisha knows that he's trying to get away from him. So he chases him to four towns. It's in 2 Kings chapter 2. And then Elisha is asked by Elijah, is there anything I can do for you before I leave? You've heard it many times from me. And Elisha says, I want double your spirit. Now that's a bold request. And the response was not encouraging. You've asked a hard thing. That's not encouraging. When somebody tells you, you know, that's a very hard prayer request. That doesn't exactly lift your spirits. But then Elijah said to Elisha, if you see me depart, the Lord's going to give you your petition. Let's turn to 2 Kings chapter 2. Because I, Do little words mean anything to you? Does the third word of verse 12 of 2 Kings 2 mean anything to you? Is it highlighted in your Bible? I have a black letter edition. I don't write my Bible and it's still highlighted. It's just highlighted up here. 2 Kings 2.12, third word. Saw. And Elisha saw it. Saw what? Saw the chariot of God come down to get Elijah and take him into heaven, which meant that he was going to get his petition. But a piece 
of Elijah's wardrobe fell to the ground. It was his mantle. And it was the mantle that had divided the waters of Jordan to get Elijah and Elisha over it. Elisha picks up that mantle, goes back to the Jordan River, says, where is the God of Elijah? And smacks the water and it divides. And all the children, the sons of the prophets saw it happen. And look at what it says. Verse, the last sentence of verse 15. And they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. Was that a tough act to follow? What if you'd been told, we're going to take Elijah home to heaven. We're going to promote you to take his place. Would you like to replace Elijah? But Elisha had to, but did the Lord do it? The Lord did it by giving him twice his spirit, giving him Elijah's mantle, giving him the power of Elijah's mantle, and he arranged it in such a way that the sons of the prophets saw it happen. You say, that's just too many events for me to keep track of. The Lord's never done anything like that for me. Yes, he has. And if you can't think of any of them, come to me and we'll talk about them. Because I'll remember some for you. Because they're there. And it is a pleasure to remember them. Psalm 111. And you should be seeking them because there's so much delight in them. Was it encouraging to David to know that all those years of being chased away and his seven brothers and father actually kind of forgetting that he even existed, that he was the man after God's own heart? Do you know that those words were given to Samuel to give to King Saul? They were known words. God hath sought him a man after his own heart. Do you know how much that would have hurt King Saul? Do you know how much that would have helped young David? Do you know how much it helped David to see a nine foot nine inch Goliath challenging the armies of Israel? He was an experienced teenager, this David was. On what basis did he go face the giant when Saul said, what experience in war do you have? He said, I've killed a lion and a bear. What else do I need? He was experienced. When did he get that encouragement? When he was out there composing psalms to the Lord with his sheep? Did the Lord encourage Solomon to follow David? Solomon prayed such a wise prayer. Does it, when you read the Bible and you're wondering if praying for wisdom is really worth your time, I wonder if how many of you pray for wisdom more than you pray for your job or money or school or exams or junk like that in comparison to wisdom. Understand me. I pray for all those things for you. But understand me, Solomon put wisdom first, and so what did the Lord give him? Everything he didn't pray for. Was that an encouragement in the Bible? That That if you put the Lord's things first, all these other things will be added unto you? All the things that normal men would have asked for, long life, my enemies, and riches, the Lord just threw in as extras to Solomon because he prayed for the right thing. Does that encourage you to pray for the right thing? If you keep praying for yourself and see your tests are really for you and your job is really for you, but wisdom isn't really for you. Wisdom is for the kingdom of heaven. When you put the, the kingdom of heaven first, all these other things shall be added unto you. Right. It's that simple. All these men experienced it and show it to us and there's a whole lot more that we're just going to run right on over. Isaiah 38 That's moving quite a distance. Isaiah 38. Hezekiah is told he's going to die. Set your house in order. 
And it's not some doctor speculating about his death. It's the Lord God telling him he's going to die. And it's Isaiah, the great prophet of God, actually uttering the words to him. Hezekiah turns to the wall, makes his short prayer. Isaiah turns around in the middle court of the king's palace, comes back and tells him the Lord's going to give you 15 more years. Hezekiah says, How can I know that? Well, I'll move the sundial 10 degrees. Would you like it to go forward or backward? Well, it's easy to go forward. I wonder when the last time he saw it go forward 10 degrees. Backward. And so the Lord moved it backward. It's recorded in your Bibles three times. The Lord wants you to know one of his greatest men, King Hezekiah, been told he was going to die, been told he's going to live 15 more years, was a little nervous about how tr- it sounds too good to be true. Have you ever heard that? The Lord doesn't want you to think that anything is too good to be true because his word is true. And so he gave him the sundial and it went backwards 10 degrees. The sundial of Ahaz. Praise the Lord. This is what the Bible's full of. Do you know what Cyrus thought? When Daniel, the great man from the Babylonian empire, came to him, chief of staff of counselors for Belshazzar, after Cyrus took the kingdom, and he pulled out a scroll that had the obvious markings on it that it was at least 100, 150 years old, and he showed King Cyrus that he was named in Isaiah 44, the last four verses, and Isaiah 45, the first four verses. Was it easy for Cyrus to issue a decree, the Lord God hath charged me? This is in the Bible. This is what ought to make up Sunday school literature. Is things like Isaiah 44 and 45, but hardly anyone even knows about Cyrus. What a great king he was. And how the Lord encouraged him to do his work for his own people. Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. These individual men. These are individual men and some of them are not, are not the boldest of men. And some of them are pretty melancholy in their spirits. And some of them are following some very difficult acts to follow. But the Lord's with them. And the Lord encourages them. He takes notice of Aaliyah. And encourages her. He took notice of a Hagar and encouraged her. But I gave that to you last Lord's Day. We come to Matthew chapter 8 and I want you to love this centurion. But I want you to love even more than that the encouragement the Lord gave him. Verse 5 of Matthew 8. When Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion, beseeching him. That's a Roman soldier, a Roman officer of the military, responsible for a hundred soldiers. That's where we get the word century. He's a centurion. And saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. What a statement. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to this man, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh, and to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. Is that the sovereign? Did he understand the sovereignty of God? Amen. That the Lord Jesus Christ just had to say the word? When Jesus heard it, now listen to this, he is standing in the middle of a bunch of Jews with a Roman occupying soldier standing there having just made these the statement of these two verses that I read to you. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. 
And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do you know why he said all that? Because that centurion knew he was a Gentile dog that wasn't the people of Israel or the Jews that were the Lord Jesus Christ's own people. That's why he wasn't worthy to have Jesus under the same roof with him. And the Lord Jesus Christ said, many are going to come like this man and are going to sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of God. And I haven't found so great faith, no, not in all Israel among the Jews. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so it be done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. What's the encouragement? You think that you have some disadvantage by your birth, some disadvantage by your race, some disadvantage by your sex, some disadvantage by your looks, some disadvantage by your intelligence? This man had some disadvantages. But look at what Jesus did in front of a crowd. To encourage him. Because our Lord God is encouraging. Who was the first one to see the risen Lord Jesus Christ? Mary Magdalene. What was she known for in the pages of scripture? Having seven devils cast out of her. Is that an encouragement? When you are in front of Peter, James, and John in line for the Lord's blessings and you're a woman? He's encouraging. Look for it in your life. Look for it in Scripture. Listen, this centurion lit me up in the last couple days. Does he light you up? Well, I don't even know what that means. Well, then, I don't have any, I don't have much to say to you. Because you need to get lit up in the Lord. You need to have your spirit lifted up in the Lord. These are exciting passages of Scripture. That centurion was so humble and so modest that the Lord just lifted him right up. And said, the children of the kingdom, you Jews are going to be thrown out. There's going to be gnashing of teeth. But this Gentile dog's going to sit with Abraham. That was very painful for a Jew to hear. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Luke chapter 5. Is the Lord encouraging? What if you were Peter? And what if you loved fishing? And what if you had some fishing fantasies that you hadn't yet fulfilled? You wanted to make it big fishing. Do you know when Jesus Christ preaches from your boat and you hear the gospel of the kingdom and you realize I'm going to have to give up my fishing. If I'm going to follow Jesus, I can't fish anymore. I'm never going to have the big take. Some of us have left jobs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. And we never got to fulfill our foolish fantasies. Peter wanted a big haul because he loved fishing. So how does the Lord encourage him? Do I need to tell you? Or do you already know where Luke 5 takes you? When Jesus is done preaching, it's time for the invitation. Simon, take your boat out a little ways and cast your nets over. Let's take up. Verse 5, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships, so that they began to sink. 
When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him, at the draft of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. That's encouragement on so many different levels. If, if Peter had wanted to have a big haul, he got his big haul. He got the thrill of having nets tear and boats sink. And have to call for others to help him haul it all back to shore. What encouragement. Look at the effect that it had on Simon Peter. He was ready to forsake it all. How many did the Lord get out of that one? Four apostles. One third of the apostles came from a fishing trip. Because the Lord encouraged them. You know, the Lord was going to have to tell Peter, Satan has desired to have thee and to sift thee. To sift you. In Luke chapter 22. But but you want to hear some encouragement? But I have prayed for thee. And when... What if he'd have said, and if thou art converted? And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Would that have encouraged you? Now you just heard some bad news that you were going to deny the Lord that night. And that Satan wants you. But the Lord Jesus said, I have prayed for thee. Look at John 13. Is it right to take the things that God has done for you and to polish them up on a frequent basis and to remember them? Yes, it is. Did you hear it in Psalm 111? I think it's the the fourth verse that His works are made to be remembered. We had a couple of weeks ago one of the young men get up and tell about the stones taken from the middle of the Jordan River to remind Israel about the separation of the waters and them being heaped up there for Israel to pass over on dry ground. It is appropriate for us to remember the things that God has done for us. I want to give you an example from the Gospel of John to understand how encouragement should be used. Who wrote the Gospel of John? I must ask too many trick questions. Let's try this one one more time. I remember in the third grade, who's buried in Grant's tomb? Grant's buried in Grant's tomb. I remember in the sixth grade, where were the Paris Peace Talks held? Who wrote the Gospel of John? John. Who was the disciple that laid on Jesus' bosom at supper? John. Who was the disciple that Jesus loved? John. We're in the Gospel of John. 13.23 Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of His disciples whom Jesus loved. Are you kidding me? John would write that about himself? You say that's arrogance. Take it up with John when you get to heaven. And take it up with the Holy Spirit for inspiring so much arrogance. That's John 13, 23. And you say to me, I bet you don't have another. I bet I do. Chapter 20. 
John chapter 20. This is Mary Magdalene after seeing the, the tomb was empty. John 20 verse 2, Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher and we know not where they have laid Him. Look at John recording the history of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, I'll bet that's it. Try chapter 21 and verse 7. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter. He never writes, Then John saith unto Peter. Not, not in contexts like this. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. You say, that's it. Nope. Verse 20. John 21 and verse 20. Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breast at supper. Now, what does that do for us? Be careful. Why is he... John here is just mentioning to us the encouragement that he got from the Lord Jesus Christ of his personal, affectionate relationship with him, and he's repeating it, and it's in Scripture that's been read by the church for 2,000 years. Has the Lord ever done anything for you that you ought to get out and polish up right now and say, I'm the one that Jesus did this for? I'm the one that Jesus did this? I know you know that. And we love you for it, brother. You're an encouragement to my heart. And God sent you to encourage this church. And a few others, more specifically. Did two on the road to Emmaus get some encouragement? Were they down in the mouth as they traveled along? Did he let them wax eloquent for a while about how that their hopes and dreams of the gospel kingdom had been dashed in pieces? And then did their hearts start to burn within them as he opened to them the scriptures? And then he waited until the very moment that he took bread and break it and he opened their eyes that they knew it was the Lord. Why did he do all that? To encourage them. Do you know how long it took them to get back to Jerusalem? They set a land speed record to get back to Jerusalem to tell the apostles that they had seen the Lord. But by the time they got there, the others, Peter was already there saying that the Lord was risen from the dead and it's just the Lord encouraging his people. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 tells us the Apostle Paul had a difficult time with the Corinthians because they thought they were so high and mighty with all their spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts compared to Paul? Did Paul need a little bit of encouragement? Did Paul have some things that they didn't have? He had raised the dead. How did Paul raise the dead? No Benny Hinn stuff this morning. No offerings necessary. But if you could get a handkerchief from the Apostle Paul, you were going to be healed. Right. But I like it. I like this. In the last, in chapters 10, well, there's several chapters here. In chapters 10 through 12, the Apostle Paul has to defend himself against these Corinthians who thought they were pretty good by the spiritual gifts they had. Look what it says in verse 1 of chapter 12. It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. Ordinarily, this would not be the proper speech of an apostle, but you forced me to it. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I just gave you my resume in chapter 11, and it crushes all of you guys put together. But now let's come to visions and revelation. You think you had someone whispering to you in the dark recently? 
He's asking the Corinthians with all their gifts. Let's come to visions and revelations. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such an one caught up to the third heaven. Now that's the Apostle Paul. I died and went to heaven and came back. And the only reason I don't tell you what it looks like is because I saw things there that are unlawful to be uttered. Now how's that for a vision and a revelation? Did that encourage the Apostle Paul when the church that he had founded was accusing him of taking too much upon himself and that he wasn't all that important? Praise God, I love the Scriptures. God will always defend His men. He'll defend you if you will live for Him. In Acts chapter 27, Paul and Luke are at sea, and they've been in a storm that lasted how long that they had not seen the sun? Fourteen days. I barely survived fourteen hours. You know what I'm... Fourteen days! Do you know what Luke wrote in Acts? All hope was gone. (laughs) If you ever have all hope gone, you're as good as Luke. All hope was gone. It's Acts chapter 27, verses 20 through 29. But an angel of the Lord appeared to Paul in the night and said, Be of good cheer. Break out some food. Make yourself some submarine sandwiches on deck. Not a hair of your head of anyone on on this ship is going to be harmed. However, you are going to have a shipwreck. And they had a shipwreck, but they all made it to shore, and no one was hurt at all. What encouragement. Look at Acts chapter 28. Acts chapter 28. We're making our way through the pages of God's precious Word, and it's designed for our encouragement. The Apostle Paul, it took him several months to get from Caesarea toward Rome, where he's going to have to appear before Caesar Nero. And he was in Caesarea for several years in captivity, in prison. And so it's been a rough several years, and here he is. He's on, Ro- he's on the boot of Italy now, and he's making his way up that boot toward Rome on foot, and he's going to have to appear before a man that has no conscience, as history would show us. Verse 15, And from thence, when the brethren heard of us, They came to meet us as far as Appia Forum and the three taverns, whom when Paul saw, he thanked God and took courage. Do you know why we have church services? To encourage one another, to exhort one another. Do you know that every time you skip church for something short of of very serious, you not only offend God and disappoint Him, but you disappoint us. It's a full house that encourages all of us. When we look around and we see people missing, it's discouraging. These brethren got up out of their homes in Rome and came down the trail, the road, the highway, knowing that Paul was making his way there, and they met him, and look what it says. When Paul saw it, he thanked God for them, and he took courage. And we ought to be thankful for the church he's given us and do all that we can to encourage the rest of the members here. The last verse before we take our break today is Hebrews chapter 12, and it brings us to the Lord Jesus Christ and how God encouraged him. Hebrews chapter 12, our God is encouraging. Now, we've been in the pages of Scripture. When we come back, I'm going to show you things from Scripture that he's given us that we personally enjoy in our lives. 
And I'm going to appeal to you to think about all that God's done for you and whether you're living for Him and giving Him the sweet, precious grapes that He intended by making a planting in this church and making a planting in your life. Mm -hmm. Hebrews 12, verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. This is what we ought to do with God's encouragement to run our race as well as possible. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He is the greatest and best and only example that we ought to, in the final analysis, look at. And let's look at his life. Who, and this is how Jesus did it, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus knew the scriptures. And Jesus knew that in the scriptures, there was a statement made, it's several verses long, in Psalm 16, that he had put the Lord always before his face. And he was at his right hand, and he knew that at the right hand of God, there were pleasures forevermore. It was that joy that propelled the Lord Jesus Christ, who for the joy that was set before him, where was it set? It was set in the scriptures. Jesus knew, Psalm 16, that if he would be faithful to death, the death of the cross, the Lord would raise him from the dead and seat him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. But the Lord's going to do the same thing for you and me. And the cross he's called us to take up every day is just the cross of self-denial. To deny ourselves a few earthly lusts, fleshly pleasures to live for him. May He bless us to do that by considering how encouraging He is. The Lord God, Jehovah, is an encouraging God. Amen. Amen.